What's up, Cracking Aces listeners? You can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes a bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball nips. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball nips and have a great time on the golf course. I just saw the the slow roll hand with uh, you and Barry Woods. That one that was hilarious. Yeah, that was that was really fun. I don't know, like, so it was unfortunate because they didn't have the sound. You know, you your mic, but you can't really hear the table talk. Right. And the whole show, you know, Barry's known to be like kind of misogynist and like racist, like everything nobody really likes. And I think he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And he, you know, was making some comments about one of the girls and like her chest. And I was like, I'm going to get this. Guy. Oh, wow. See, yes, see, I didn't even I, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So I guess, you know, he's saying that her like something about her breast, like bulging or something. I was like, is this guy fucking serious? Oh, my God. And then you like, get you get the chance so to, to stick it to him. Well, it's funny because right. I, I actually just watched that hand and. I was like, well, how is she going to – shows that I don't really play much live cash. I was like, based on the action, like how, how is she going to slow roll him? Because she's just going to go all in here. Right, but right. then you got yeah, the, you got the chance to uh, after the board yeah, had run out. Nice. And, and it was funny because I don't know if you saw the hand, but there was a hand maybe like 30 minutes before where I was bluffing and I turned like an open-ended straight draw. And I bet and didn't realize with his stack size, like, I was, like, on the cusp of, like, committing myself. I wasn't mm-hmm. committed, but I was just like, eh, fuck it. I'll <laughs> put my chips in. Like, we're playing on a stream. And yeah. I ended up getting there. And, and, and of course, this is already, like, very already kind of getting under my skin. And he goes, two pair. And I just, you know, I, I have the nuts on the river. And I'm just, like, trying to look kind of, like, sigh. And then I turn my hand over. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, what? And he's like screaming. He's like, "How fucking bad are you? You're terrible." Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm the worst. It's I don't know. it's funny. Like, you play with people that that get under your skin like that, and I mean, there's no better thing in the world when you're kind of running good versus them. But when it's the opposite, it's just like there's nothing worse. Yeah. When you're losing pots to them and they're they're just chirping and getting under your skin, but you got them. Yeah, but luckily I got I got it. Right yeah, now. you got them good. I got a point for the good guys, so. <laughs> Welcome to the Cracking Aces Podcast, episode number 41. Shout out Dirk Nowitzki. I am Barstool Nate. I am joined to my left in a paddle tennis t-shirt. Uh, God, you're obsessed with paddle tennis. Yeah, it's become my new... I don't even know what it is. My new obsession. No, that's... Can pretty, you explain what paddle tennis is? It's pretty is damn fun. What is paddle tennis? It's... So it... It looks like a tennis court. It's about a third of the size, and it has the same kind of dimensions except smaller. Okay. Uh, and it's in a like a chicken wire fence, <laughs> and it's played with a graphite paddle, not a racket, and it's like a slightly big, like slightly bigger and squishier ball. 
and it's played two on two and you can hit the ball off of the off of the wires it's a lot of fun that's so weird okay good yeah. uh, youtube it it'll, it'll that'll it's that's what i tell people to do when, when they ask what it is that's professional poker player slash amateur <laughs> tennis paddle player uh jake tool he finished 34th in the 2015 wsop main event and we have a big show coming up today. We will be joined by none other than the 29th place finisher, so five better than your dumbass, in the 2015 WSOP main event, Kelly Minkin. Just cucking me on my own show. Yeah, well, hopefully for good. <laughs> and so she is a professional poker player, I think mainly tournaments. She has nearly $1.5 million in live earnings. I know she does play cast because she played a hand with seven deuce in a, a friday night poker right uh live stream game on poker go where she absolutely just put on a a, a seven deuce playing clinic yeah that's like it's one of the best hands in poker history yeah it's so easy for the you know when you're playing the seven deuce game to it just can get out of hand and seems like it very rarely works but this is one of those examples where just total ownage and I'll I'll put that hand up on the on our Twitter and on the Instagram. It's also on Halloween, so they're all wearing costumes, and it yeah. makes the hand even better. Plus, the commentators She's dressed as like what, what like a that? sailor, L- I think. Little Bo Peep or something. Oh, is that Little Bo Peep? Yeah. Uh, so I'm the whole sure. thing is outrageous. She ends up rivering a third seven against a, a pair of aces, and she check calls the river for for stacks. It's fantastic hand. She's also a lawyer. Yep. in Arizona, and yep. she might have some involvement in being the lawyer for the Mike Possible case, so we'll ask her about that. Yeah, I know her Her name was mentioned in helping um, Mac Ver- Verstanding. That's the law firm. The, the law firm, yeah, uh, and Jamie Kerstetter as well. Yes. So we'll have to yeah, dive into that a little bit. And do we have Christian coming on? Christian's coming on, yep. So okay. Christian's coming on. Um, he's going to call in, and we're going to quickly break down what was going through his head. Uh, back what was that i don't even know what year that was so if you don't know who christian is uh charter christian harder he's a poker player from maryland myself and jake both are friends with him and we briefly talked on the previous episode about this crazy call he made on television in the world series of poker europe uh maybe like 10 years back or so yeah we played the audio on uh on the last episode and I, I hadn't seen that hand in forever, and I assume you haven't either, or you probably would have made a bigger deal out of just how outrageous the entire hand played out was. Yeah, it was. It's it's definitely a, a pretty legendary hand that gets passed over quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. When I when probably I watched it back, I was mad at us for because I just brought the hand up off the cuff because we randomly brought up Victor Blom right. who was on TV during that same tournament right. and I hadn't thought about the Christian hand in forever and then so I watched it when I was editing the podcast and I was really mad that we didn't spend more time talking about how diabolical every single player in this hand played the hand right. and and I mean not, you know not even including Men the Master in that hand who just has bottom too um, I don't want to get too much into it right now Men the Master flats the big blind with 4-3. Yeah. He flops two pair, which is all you can ask for when you're flatting 4-3 sure. out of the big blind. And then he has a bet and a raise in front of him on the last hand of the night. And he just folds. Yeah. He just wanted to make he just wanted a bag. Bag today too. <laughs> 
from from one to ten, how bad of a fold is that? It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's like pretty bad. like a nine three. Uh, eight four three with two spades. Uh, it's it's pretty bad. What else are you even looking for when you flat See, four I, I, three? It's hard to tell. Like, uh, I mean, you know, if he has whatever 40k or 30k then the hand's pretty easy to play but he it gets a little knew. trickier when you're 100k deep in that spot but he also knows that um who's it andy black the other guy in the hand besides christian is like a wild player right it, it's such like an easy yeah i mean right like some <laughs> more money should pretty clearly go in wild wild hands so we'll especially have- when the the um i mean not only is like the board like pretty unconnected yeah it's just i mean they're about to bag at the end of the hand once andy black busts he goes i don't need this anymore and he hands the dealer back his bag it's the last hand of the night right it, it's a ridiculous hand and so christian who uh christian's ends like up making the hero, the, the hero call yeah. on the river we'll have him on because people are like how the fuck did he make that call i literally right. just like tweeted out can you find a call here and everybody's like no 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 a couple of people were like well this this guy's an idiot there's no way he's good at poker i was like eh, well yeah. <laughs> that's that always makes me laugh when people make good calls like that and then the comments are well this guy obviously sucks at poker yeah i mean or he does have like how four, 4.6 million in yeah. live earnings so, maybe that's what makes uh, him not good not at poker. even including uh, ter- or, uh online. online yeah so, so yeah We'll talk to Christian. He'll walk us through how how in the world he made that call there. Yep. If there are any live tales. Uh, Scott Blumstein tweeted at us. He's like, you guys left out all the live tales. Well, yeah, we had to edit down a five-minute hand to two minutes. So we couldn't include everything. So yeah. We'll, we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Christian will have some insights as to you know, what he was thinking about. Uh, that's not a hand you forget. Yeah. Unlike me, I just forget every well, yeah, hand. Unless it's you, right? Like uh, uh, Brian Altman telling me how savage my bluff was when we were at the main event, and I was like, I can't remember one street of action <laughs> yeah. from that. Can't even, you can't even say one card involved. <laughs> I just do not know. I, I think there was a king because I think I had made the guy fold ace king. Hmm. I think impressive. I, I don't quote me on that though. Meanwhile, you remember every hand you've ever played to the detail. You're like, yeah, that was the red deck. Uh, I was at table 53. Recently changed. The dealer, nice lady. (laughs) Before we get to Kelly Minkin, I want to remind everybody listening, pause the podcast right now. And if you haven't done so, hit subscribe. If you have subscribed, hit the five stars. And then after that, write a nice message to Jake in the little comment section (laughs) on iTunes. Anything you want. Just uh, that's the stuff that helps us grow. I cannot stress it. We get so much good feedback, and I'm so appreciative of all the good feedback and everybody who says, hey, love the pod. Hey, can we get some merch? Which the answer is yes. Um, Sweet. Just need to continue growing. The growth has been fine. It's been steady. But being able to, again, I, I've said this for a while, being able to show the bosses in uh, better numbers and uh rising up in the rankings on itunes i itunes and apple they're dumb as fuck all they care about is people new subscribers that's what does it new subscribers and the the written comments and the five-star reviews it takes no more than 10 seconds to be like jake i want to have your babies jake <laughs> uh play paddle tennis on my asshole it's anything i don't care what you write it just helps us a lot if you dig the podcast it helps us make merch so if you guys could just do that right now the the late here we go perfect the 
the latest review we've gotten. Great podcast, five stars. Love this podcast. Flicked my bean to it once. Beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Could not be more perfect for what I was going for right now. <laughs> so if you can top flicked my bean to it once, by all means, please go for it. I want the funniest comments. I want everything y'all got. So um, that caught me off guard. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was just gonna read a I'm couple. Just like scrolling, I don't scrolling need to my go, phone right now. <laughs> I don't need to go any further than the than the latest one. So thanks to uh, Ace's Bean Flicker for that review. And hopefully, if you're listening right now, you can throw us a similar review. Make it funny. Make it good. Maybe you know if you actually like the podcast, say hey, I, I like the podcast too. That would be fine. Um, you don't have yeah, to. Doesn't get, doesn't yeah, need to be. Uh, doesn't have to be dirty, right? <laughs> Unless you do want Jake to play paddle tennis on your asshole, then by all means. So I just ha- I had to get that out there. Uh, but no, seriously, all the support we get is great. Uh, you know, people seem to actually really dig the show. We're on Spotify if you want to listen on your way to work. You know, we're on Stitcher if you have an Android. We're on iTunes. I think iTunes is still like the top player in the game. I think yeah. iTunes rules over everything. But Spotify listens, you know. They help as well. Keep following the Instagram. We're posting cool hands over there. Like we posted that Christian Harder hand that we just talked about. If uh, you haven't seen that yet, you can go over to our Instagram. We're always reading DMs. You know, we're tweeting up a storm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're now going to bring on our first guest this week. Her name is Kelly Minkin. She is known as the illest online We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit of the about the Phil Galfond Heads Up PLO Challenge that we touched on last episode because mm-hmm. it's only gotten worse for our boy Phil. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely get into that. So we'll get into the a little bit into the Phil Galfond Heads Up Challenge. Now let's get to Kelly. Now joining us on the show, the pride of not Tucson, Arizona. Um, we'll get to the bottom of where you're actually from. She has 1.5 million in live tournament earnings, and she's known as the illest. Kelly Micken, how's it going? Nate, what's up? How are you guys? We're good. We we're good. real good. Um, we were just talking before this interview, and we're going to keep the audio in about two things. One, where you slow rolled the hell out of Barry Woods, and two, how you're not actually from Tucson, Arizona. Where are you actually from? Well, originally I'm from Wisconsin, but I do reside in Phoenix, Arizona, and I've lived here most of my life, so I would say Phoenix. Okay, so when it says you're the 14th all-time in Arizona money list, that's accurate? Yeah. Got it. Cool, Got cool, it. cool. So you, to me, are best known for finishing 29th in the 2015 WSUP main event because Jake here finished a measly 34th. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Jake deep in the 2015 main event? If anything. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, I think if I remember correctly, we were on the feature table with Negron. Was that right? Yeah, that's right. At least somebody okay, remembers. So, yeah, so um, that was actually a really fun day. I um, Most of that table was obviously on TV and to play with Negranu and to have him compliment me and like the whole experience was really great. Um, also, I had like a major hand where I doubled with Jack to Ace King. Uh, I remember that. Day went, yeah, the day went fairly well and it was fun and 
obviously I was like not very experienced. I had only been playing tournaments for about a year and a half. So I was really, really like outclassed from a standpoint of like experience and just knowledge of the game. But I think I held my own and like I represented the women in a way that like I can look back on and be proud of. So, you know, it feels good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I remember you may have been an inexperienced, but I mean, from what I remember, you you played pretty fearlessly, like and like knew what spots to take. I mean, I didn't know it in game, but I do remember you three betting me from the big blind with Jack Jack Deuce off. Uh, Verse, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not like a great hand, but it, the spot was actually a really good spot to kind of leverage my tournament stack. I think I had like twenty five or thirty blinds. Yeah, I mean, I think naturally, like when I say inexperienced. Like, yes, I'm an experience from knowledge, but I think the reason why I have excelled in poker and especially tournament poker is because I just have like a natural inclination of like instinctual ability to recognize like what are good times and opportunities to like exploit others and, you know, kind of feeling out you know instinctually where where I should be and what I should be doing so from that standpoint I think that's why I like got into poker because I was like oh I can be good at this and then once I realized I had a natural ability especially after my deep run in the main in 2015 I was like okay if I study I think I could like be really good so I started doing that and and I think it the results have kind of spoken for themselves yeah it seems like you know you you know, you were working with a, a really strong kind of natural instinct of, of the game and, and tournament poker. And, uh, you know, all it all it really takes from there is, is you know, getting the volume in and, and also kind of, you know, accessing other resources to, to keep getting better. Yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, in, uh, also in 2015, you finished 38th in the Millionaire Maker, and that had over 7,000 runners in it. And then in 2018, you finished 50th in the main event. So those are all big field events. What What do you do differently, or what kind of advice could you give to people listening about how to you know, make your way through these, I guess some people call them like minefields where there's so many runners and there's a ton of money up top, but you, you know, multiple days, thousands and thousands of entries and you've done it pretty successfully. Yeah. um, I would say that I try to approach big field tournaments, especially ones that are like top heavy with the intention of like always playing to win. And I think when you set yourself up with that mentality, like, early, um, it is, like, high variance. But when you're on the right side of variance, you have a really good chance at winning. So, like, you know, even from, like, pre-ante level, like, I'm fighting for every chip. And I try to, like, set the tone for the table that, like, I'm the boss. And, like, if you want to win, you have to come through me. And I think... And so, like, not only does that intimidate people but it gets it gets the like game flow to be in your favor more often than not yeah we talked about that with brian altman a little bit like how cool that feeling is when you're dominating the table and everybody's scared of you and i made i'm not gonna say a deep run i made a run until i punted a couple uh main events ago and i Uh tweeted out like i love betting they love folding. It was something like that. And it was just because when you're so in the groove of it, you just feel like you can't be beaten. Is that kind of where you got your nickname, the Ellis from, where you just always impose your will on the table? 
Yeah, like, I think that I, you know, from the beginning, like, when I started playing cash games, like, I always had that kind of, like, vibe. And, like, when I started playing cash, a lot of locals would be like, you would be great at tournament poker. You have, like, the style and, like, the play that would suit well for that. And so, you know, I I went and played just on a whim the Arizona State Championship, like, not knowing how to calculate a big – I didn't know <laughs> – The one that – the one that you play at like 9 a.m. in Arizona and the structure is yeah. outrageous. So yeah, exactly. So I played that, which is obviously like somewhat of a crapshoot. But like I said, like I if, if the game is, you know, if you're running well and you have that mentality, like I'm going to win and I'm not afraid to bluff or take spots that like it does work well, especially when the rest of the field doesn't play that way. I think when it comes to be an issue is when you're playing against people like Altman where like they also play that way. And then it's like, okay, well, one of us is going to be chip leader and win. And one of us is going to be out in the next 30 minutes. And like, I've battled with that, like that with against people multiple times and I'm comfortable in that space. Well, yeah. I mean, I think when you come up uh, against somebody that's plays a similar style to you, it's, it's about making those kind of in-game adjustments on, you know, how they how you think they're going to play versus you and then uh, you know continuing to change as you know the day goes on you're you know playing all these hands together but i think um you know i think that's that style is always effective but it's especially effective in a tournament like the main event um you know you just get so many more amateurs so many more inexperienced players and the structure of the tournament is so good so there's still variance you know obviously you have to still run well to me you know make, make a deep run you still have to play well but the opportunity to really um take advantage and and chip up uh, you know against more inexperienced players is is definitely there for sure like i remember when i got to my table not i remember all vividly in 2015 and 2018 getting to my table like sizing everyone up like and just being like i'm gonna win this tournament and mm-hmm. i just had this like great positive feeling like no matter what happened, like I was able to like be self-aware in every single decision I made. Like even when I made a play that worked that I felt was bad, I'm like, okay, that was stupid. Like, let's not do that. And like constantly talking through like internally, like what am I doing? What are my intentions? And like, what are the best spots for me to, you know, accumulate chips without putting myself in like a danger zone. So it's like feeling out the table figuring like talking to people figuring out like who is here for what reason and how did they get here and like can I use you know a friend equity to like get into it when I am in a pot with them later to my advantage mm-hmm. should I be more intimidating etc so, so like, you're big into table talk I wouldn't say I'm big into table talk I'm big into like adaptability and it's about when you get to the table like figuring out what's what style is going to suit you best to win? So sometimes I'll sit at a table and like I can tell people want to talk or people are on, more on a friendly vibe, and then I'll 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 play into that. And yeah. if people seem more intimidated by me, then I'll play into that. So and it's it's player dependent. So it could be I could talk to half the table and then the other table half of the table not talk to them and be like not saying a word when we're in hand. So it really depends, and I like to adjust and adapt based on you know how i feel in in the moment yeah i i've often said my biggest flaw that i'm still working on at the poker table is adjusting and adapting and i always just go back to that same stupid main event 
thing from a couple of years ago where I was running over my table, running over my table and I got moved to a new table and I was, I just decided to keep doing the same thing and it just fucked me like real bad because I was playing with much better players. As also we learned, I was playing with Brian Altman. Right, and you didn't I even didn't know. Even know. Time, yeah. <laughs> um, I knew a couple other guys at the table and I knew like this one Euro at the other end of the table was like pretty good, but I was just trying to do the same thing and you, you have to adjust, you have to adapt. And that's definitely the biggest lesson that I've, you know, learned and still trying to learn from because I'm still kind of struggling with doing that. But that's just because I'm bad at poker. Um, I wanted to ask you about the seven deuce hand. I I once I blogged that hand and I said this could be my favorite televised poker hand of all time. Um, yeah. It, the whole thing is outrageous. You guys are dressed up in costumes <laughs> for Halloween. What um, was your costume, by the way? I was Chun Li from Street Fighter. Got oh, it. okay. I should have known that. You said Bo Peep. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I saw like I don't know. I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, so you guys are playing the Seven Deuce game. You have it's Justin Young. He's dressed up in a costume, looking just so upset by the end of the hand. You slow roll the hell out of him. The commentators <laughs> are drunk. Were you? Were you slow rolling him for for television? Were you slow rolling him because you had like a a side bet with him or someone else to slow roll? Can you just take us through that entire thing? Yeah. So, well, my mindset going into that game was just to like have fun, and it wasn't to necessarily make money. I was just like, we're going in costume. Like, I know people are drinking. It was my first time on this like Friday night poker show that Poker Go was putting on. Shout out Jeff Platt. So I'm like, you know. Yep. Yeah, shout out to Jeff Flat. And I just really wanted I when I'm doing a game that I know is gonna be streamed, I try to have fun. Mm-hmm. And obviously it doesn't happen every time, but I try to like bring some energy and like excitement to it because I know that's what people wanna see. So going into this we're already like having like light of the game and we have this seven deuce game going on that if you win a hand with seven deuce you win a hundred dollars from each player. So like that makes it obviously a lot more fun. And during this hand, the entire hand, which unfortunately you couldn't hear on the stream, uh, Justin Young was representing that he had seven deuce mm. from before the flop came out. So <laughs> we had this dynamic that like he's representing the hand that I have. And so now we're like, le- like in this leveling war of like, okay, what's going on here? And like I've played with Justin before and he obviously plays like high stakes and he's, you know, very intelligent and he knows the game very well so his range of hands in this hand could be anything you know everyone's drinking brian um Pacholi is next to me and he's like blackout <laughs> uh, so like we're all just laughing and like having a good time and you know he's like i got seven deuce i got seven deuce and if you see my face i'm just like i'm so, i was like so confused he really like got into my head so like i was partially let rolling him but I was also partially like am I like crazy to think that I could be beat here like I genuinely for a few seconds like thought did I just like completely screw myself by like playing this hand this way and I was like you know what fuck it I have seven deuce I have to like yeah let's see what happens was he mad at you for the slow roll he looked kind of pissed so yeah so this was like another aspect of the whole slow roll thing was like I think during the whole game like, he was kind of irritated by me because I was, like, flashing the pot and, like, throwing in chips and being kind of a <laughs> I love it. 
And he's, like, just rolling his eyes at me and, like, kind of over it. Like, I don't know if he had a bad day. Yeah. Like, he stubbed his huh. toe or some shit, but, like, he was not having it. That seems unlike him. So Normally in those games, he's it. he's the one kind of, you know, mixing it up, splashing around. Yeah, he just didn't seem into it. Like, you know, I'd throw my tips in the middle and he'd be like, stop doing that. The dealer, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we're fucking having fun, dude. Relax. You know? <laughs> it's so funny because so, he's dressed up for Halloween the entire time. I know. He's dressed up as, like, an Amish guy. <laughs> I know, and then he's like, he's like sulking. It's pretty funny, but yeah, the whole the whole thing was pretty, uh, pretty good time. But yeah, it was. And then the commentators just, you know, hearing Daniel talk about the hand is just hilarious. Well, the best part of it is you see so many, uh, you know, on on a lot of these streams when you're playing Seven Deuce game, like it's it's almost always either, uh, you know, the the person who has Seven Deuce runs like you know a crazy bluff that works or it doesn't work. It's almost never. Uh, making a hand with seven deuce and stacking someone right and that that was what made it kind of interesting too and it's funny because you know i'm kind of known for these seven deuce hands and now when people are like oh that's seven deuce hands like i have to ask which one because you know on the ladies class game i had that huge hand with lily where i bluffed and went i shoved for like 10.5k all in pre-flop and she folded ace king suited yes. and we were just like dying laughing oh my so god it's fun to see like polar opposite results and like you know it's 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 an interesting game but to be honest with you i don't really like playing the seven deuce game i'm like i've, I've kind of won this like i'm out I'm you want out. you have won the seven yeah game. right yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. retire from it now so you're like the end boss of the seven deuce game uh, i'll take it uh we're so you hit the seven on the river if you don't hit and you check and he shoves and you slow roll him and call if you don't hit that seven if it's a blank or whatever do do you take the same line on the river do you shove the river what are you doing there to be honest with you i can't remember even my thought process like <laughs> welcome to my life <laughs> Like, all I remember is hitting the river and knowing he was going to shove all in. And then once he shoved, like, being like, wait a second, should I slow roll? But wait, if I slow roll, like, and, I, and I'm beat, do I look like a complete dickhead? No, because then so, you can always say, I knew it. I knew I was beat. And, and then you show the seven and be like, I almost folded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. But anyway, so, yeah, I, I really didn't have a plan. And I'm not going to lie. You know, it's not like every single hand I play, I know what I'm doing, like, with every single movement. Like, I don't know. I'm just calling the 20-whatever min-click he fucking did on the turn. Like, I don't even know his stack size or mine. I'm just like, Yo, I don't know. Th you know. This is... The, that's the greatest sentence ever, like, mentioned on this podcast. Because when we have guests on, you know, we've had on all sorts of pros and this and that, and they're all, like, talking about stack-to-pot ratio and this and that, and uh, and that's like Jake, and then I'm on the other side where I can't remember the biggest hands that I've ever played in the biggest spots, and Jake can recall every hand he's ever played down to what watch the dealer was wearing. So for you to be like, yeah, I just, I was, I don't, I didn't have a thought process. That was just music to my ears. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know it's easy to try. It's like I'm a pro, and I need to come off this way and that way. And I think a lot of players professional poker players are like that the reality is that a lot of times you get into hands especially when you're in a situation where it's like we're just playing for fun like i'm not thinking about stack depth or like what the equity is or like what's the this and that it's like you know when i go and play it live at the bike tonight like i'm not going to be like 
hmm, what is my equity on the turn if I check raise and blah blah like fuck yeah. that. Like, no, I'm you're just gonna stare into his soul and and uh stare. and just crush <laughs> you know faces. Who, you know who she's playing with? Andy Milanakis. Sweet. Which makes no sense at all. Andy Milanakis is now like a professional poker player. I guess. Yeah, yeah he's like a streamer, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's so bizarre. <laughs> Andy Milanakis. I loved him. Like I didn't even realize he was still doing stuff, but yeah, he's playing poker on Live at the Bike tonight. Are you Oh, you have to slow roll, Andy. If I get the chance, I will, and I'll shout you guys out on the screen. Wait, does that mean that you're a now a official Cracking Aces sponsored pro? Am I sponsored? You guys tell me. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to send you some. We'll have to patch you up. So we have to make patches, and that's all we can do. We can't really do anything else besides make patches and send you one. <laughs> okay. You're in. Yeah, I'm in. Send send me some stuff. Send me some swag. We got, we we got gotcha. you. What what is your uh what's your summer plan? Are you grinding out the whole World Series? You're gonna take it a little easier. Uh, what, what's your what's your plan going forward? So this is another thing about my poker endeavors. I try to not plan too much in advance because I think one of the good positive aspects about poker is that like you can do whatever the fuck you want whenever you want. <laughs> right. So I try to wait. You know, obviously I'm gonna play the schedule. To what extent, I don't know. It's going to depend on how I feel. And so I'm just kind of winging it. Like, yes, I'm going to be playing the main event. Yes, I'll be playing, like, the big events. Am I going to be there the whole summer? I have no idea. If I feel like being there, I'll be there. And if not, I won't. Do you feel you have to win a bracelet uh, to, you know, validate yourself or anything like that? Uh, I wouldn't say I have to win a bracelet to validate myself. It would definitely be cool to win a bracelet. But at the end of the day, once you become well-versed in poker, you realize that, like, a bracelet doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at poker. And, you know, there's players that are great that don't have a bracelet, and there's players that are horrible that have multiple. So yeah, does it really matter? No. Would it be great? Yes. I kind of like... Am I trying to win a bracelet? For sure. I kind of like asking that question because I feel the, over the years, uh, the value of a bracelet has gone way down in the professional poker player's eyes where it used to be the ultimate goal for so many professionals. And now, as you said, it's not, it doesn't really validate anything anymore. Well, and but in the same regard, like I think that poker players in the past haven't really understood like to what extent that matters. And I think as time progresses and poker gets more difficult to beat, then naturally, like, the more intellectual people tend to be at the top, right? So, like, if you're an intellectual, you realize that, like, the results are somewhat meaningless relative to your skill. Especially oh. in these, like, you know, unless yeah. you're, like, a mixed game player where you're playing in, like, a 50 to 100-person field, like, it's right. not, you know, you see David Peters winning multiple bracelets because the fields are so big and, like, the variance is so high. So, it's like he's winning the high rollers because there's 70 person fields that are all playing his game, and he's the best at yeah. that game. Right. When you're playing the main event, you're playing with people who don't know anything that are like going all in blind. I, I was playing the main event this year, and this guy was just going all in blind, like pre ante, and like that the crazy guy with his dick out, like, <laughs> and everything in between, you know. So it's like. Does it mean something? Like, is it great to have a trophy? For sure. But, like, it really, it doesn't mean much. 
Yeah, we, we actually, we talked about, um, when we talked to Brian Allman last week, we talked about how in a tournament, it's like, it's kind of this, you know, it's kind of crazy how everybody who doesn't win is considered a loser. Uh, and, you know, you kind of get that feeling, you know, even if you've come in second in a tournament, like kind of the immediate feeling is, oh, you know, shit, I lost. I didn't win. But like... Yeah, it's obviously nice to have a bracelet. It's nice to win, but you know you can still find success in other ways through poker. You know, finishing deep in a tournament and not winning, or you know, playing cash games, whatever it might be. Well, I think more so than like the bracelet. Now that you bring up that point, is that like tournaments? Like, unless you get first place, you you lost. Like, you're losing equity. Like, you. I I was listening to your podcast with. Um, Altman last week and you were saying how like the pay jump for me to get third to first was like 500 yeah right and like that is what matters to me so much more than like that's what hurts like when I was got third in the WPT like it fucking sucked because like I lost like hundreds of thousands of dollars and like an on an 80 20 right it's that is like a knife in the chest it's not about getting my name on the WPT trophy it's about like the amount of money that i could have won is like you know if i were to equate that to like my job as an attorney like that's over a year's worth of work yeah right. multiple years but in in the lucky hearts with against altman i had nines against his fours and he got a four card flush oh, and oof. i was just like so devastated because i had been like you know when you're deep in a tournament and then you're short and your card like you're not getting cards and you're like fuck this sucks like i'm just blinding out and then, like, I finally get a really solid hand for, you know, my stack. And I'm, like, super excited. I get called by fours. And I'm just like, Jesus. Yeah, it's like a dream out? spot. I, 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 didn't, yeah. I didn't even think about it. Uh, when I was saying that last week, I, I was, I guess I was more thinking, okay, I got third. You know, I took this terrible beat to get third for, you know, 260K. Uh, but, no, I didn't win 260K. I lost 500K or 450K, whatever the difference was. But for a lot of people, you're, you're absolutely right. Like... The, the pay jumps and, 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 the, and the, you know, bad equity beats that you can take at these final tables are regular big time salaries that you're actually like yeah. <laughs> missing out on. Yeah, big time. For sure. And that's what, to me, that's what's difficult. When I'm in the main event, like obviously, Jake, you were deep with me as well. Like I got 29th and I made 200K, but it's like in my head, I'm like, fuck, I was 28 people away from $8 million. Yeah. And nobody outside of poker gets in like equity spots like that and i'm sure you know i'm just like a regular person that's like playing this main event like for my second or third time in my whole life and like all of a sudden like espn cameras are on me and i'm like playing like eight million dollars is like tangible yeah like you're playing for seven fucking days straight where like my brain is shutting off like it's so much shit going on at one time for so much money it's like Unless you're made for, like, high-pressure situations, like, you'll crumble in under that pressure. And, like, you don't know if you're made for that until you're there. Right. I, uh, I don't know if I've ever said it on the, on the podcast, but when I, when I got out of the main that year, you know, it was, like, the end of day six or close to the end of day six. And just kind of like a snap of the finger and it's over. At that point, it was the last tournament of the series. There weren't post limbs. Everything was shut down. I was staying at the Rio. I went up to my hotel room, like, and I just started like bawling my eyes out, like, really? uncontrollably. It was just like the the stress and 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 kind of just like 
everything just came down on me at once and i like it you know i'm not really an emotional guy and yeah like, i would say you're a robot and, like, you're as much of a robot as anybody i've ever met. and you know i've never had that with a poker tournament before but like you know not not only like the stress and all like the the build-up of that tournament but it's like you realize oh fuck like this was the main event like this is what i watched when it was you know i first found out what poker was in 2003 and was watching this on tv like and then like the progression and build-up of it over the years and, like you know there were four tables left it reminds is. me of the big 50 yeah. <laughs> For sure. And I, I, I can honestly, like, I've talked about this a little bit and I'm kind of like, I'm not very emotional, especially when it comes to poker. Like it is what it is. I'm like in control of what I'm in control of and what's not in my control. I can't get upset about. Right. But like, I felt the same. I didn't, I didn't cry because I had like ESPN cameras for me and I was like, had my ego was too big. I was like, fuck that. I'm not crying on TV. But like the feeling of like, you know, a rock in my throat, like, Especially when I got my money and thinking, like, not even really questioning that I was ahead. Like, I didn't have any doubt. And then to see that I was drawing dead was, like, I can't explain, like, the level of emotion, like, drop. Yeah, it's brutal. You know, and then, you know, obviously all the cameras from around and, like, the guy... Frick, I forget his name. The Italian, the Buderoni or whatever. He ended up cabling, but he was the Federico eliminated me. Yeah, Federico. And he was like, you know, scream like they edited it for TV, but he was like fist pumping, like screaming. His whole like rail was like, you know, ch- chanting in Italian. So I'm just like so defeated. Like right. my mom had flown in and surprised me that day, and she had just gone to bed. She's like, "I'll see you in the morning." Yeah. And like, so I busted, and I was just like, you know, the cameras for me, and I'm like, want to cry, and they're like, can you do an interview? I was like, no. So I showered ESPN. I was like, I cannot do an interview right now. <laughs> and like, it was just, it. I totally can relate to the emotion, like being, you know, it's not an emotional game until it is. Which right. when it hits you, it hits you like really hard. It, it's so good timing that we're having this conversation because Galfond's going through the same thing right now. And Phil Galfond, you know, could buy and sell my life and not even think about it. He has all the money in the world and he's down a million, which for him, you know, it's still a million dollars. But, it, you know, we're talking about Phil Galfond. He's rich enough that he started his own poker site. Right. So and but he just released this long, you know, four iPhone note message on Twitter about how being down a million 40% into his challenge is like wrecking his brain and having this terrible, uh, like emotional impact on him. And I was like, wow, if Phil Galfond, where he's won and lost a million dollars in a day, you know, more times than he can count, if it's crushing him like that, like, right. It's kind of like normal. that still has yeah. like a, you know, a strong mental game in yeah. general. Yeah, for sure. And I, that's interesting. You know, I read that post yesterday and I was thinking, man, like, what a hero is he, you know, like, we, I think we all have this, like, idea, or a lot of us do to, like, have these challenges where it's, like, we want to put, you know, ourselves on, like, a platform for other people to see us, but I think all of us are afraid of failing, especially failing in front of, a, of an audience, Right. and so to have him put himself out there, regardless of, like, how confident he was or not, like, he knows there's a chance he can lose, especially when he's allowing anyone in, anyone to challenge him even anon- an anonymous player so that's like a really big thing and to see how he's handled it and to see like how humbled he is and to like continue and to let us be a part of it still is like really cool and i give him i give him props for that because i don't know anyone else who could do that yeah i 
he can't quit though. I need him to stage some sort of comeback. I need I need him to be a hero. It'd be it'd be one for the ages. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think when it comes down to it, I don't I don't see him quitting. Um, I want I wanted to go back because you mentioned that you are an attorney, um, and you are you you're a partner at Mac Verstanding Law Firm. Is that right? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, Verstanding. Verstanding. And so, have you been working on the Postal case? Yeah, we you know that's one of our many cases, and um, it has kind of stalled a little bit from a procedural standpoint. But yeah, we're working on that. Do you, um, do you do think he's of, gonna see jail time? Uh, if if I'm being honest, that so if he sees jail time, that would be a wholly separate scenario than what we're dealing with. We're representing um, all the people who got cheated out of money. Okay. That played on Stone's Live. We have like over a hundred plaintiffs. Gotcha. And so we're representing them in a civil action. If he were to be charged criminally, that would be not in our arena. Got it. Okay. Not be involved so you're just trying to get them their money back. Exactly. We're trying to get them compensated and just make sure that everything's squared away, that Stones, you know, does what they're supposed to do and, and everyone can walk away feeling like they were made whole. Yeah. I, was, I don't know how much you can talk about it, but is that uh, how's that all coming together? Yeah, I can't talk about it <laughs> much, but it is it's, it's a slow process, but it, it is coming together. And, you know, if you look on Poker, I think Poker News, um, there are some articles that, you know, there's reporters that are keeping tabs on the case, so everything that is available will be made public. Okay. okay. I mean, we 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 had to ask. We knew that right. you wouldn't be able to talk much about right, it, right. but um. Yeah, of course, of course. It's not it's not top secret, but you know, I'm under a duty to to maintain some privilege. So, like I said, if if you know things are going to come to light, they will be in in the media and readily available to your listeners sweet yeah keep us updated um for sure before before we let you go so like we we i'm an amateur poker player i stink at poker and our podcast i guess is kind of geared towards the more amateur player and when you say you know you can listen to the show and get better at poker what would be a piece of advice you would give to the the upcoming poker player, the person who wants to get better at poker but doesn't really know where to start or, you know, enjoys playing poker but now wants to take it more seriously. I think everybody has a moment where something clicks or there's an aha moment or you just really buckle down and study the game more. Um, I guess this is a two-part question. What, what was your progression in getting better at poker and what advice would you give to the amateur poker player, you know, right now in 2020? Um, well... Let's see. That's, so you you asked a lot of questions. I know. So I'm sorry. I, no, that's okay. I when I realized I was good at poker was really when, really when I started playing cast. Um, you know, I had people, all different types of people, come up to me and say, you know, we know that you're a new player, but like you have a natural ability that like can be seen. And I was really apprehensive to take like what people were telling me seriously because especially the woman playing poker, like, you never know what people's intentions are. Like, I'm like, is this guy just trying to jerk my tail to, like, get attention from me? Like, is he serious? Like, is he trying to make me think I'm good because I'm, like, a huge whale? Like, I, I really didn't know. So as I started getting more people, like, complimenting my game, then and I became self-aware, and, like, obviously the results also helped me feel confident. Like, I'm like, okay, I could be really good at this. You know, once I believed that, I worked hard and diligently to do that. And one of the ways I did that was 
by finding a great group of people that I could <clears throat> talk poker with, which I think just comes with introducing yourself, talking to people that you admire. Like, you know, I remember playing in the Lucky Hearts tournament with Brian Altman when there was like 70 people left and we were on the table and I was just like, wow, this guy is fucking sick. <laughs> and I just remember watching him and like wanting to emulate his game. I think like naturally I already have a style similar to Brian. But I saw like how intimidating he was, and I liked that because I, as in his opponent, didn't like that. So I'm like, I want to be like that. Like I like how he makes me feel as his opponent. I want to make people feel how I feel. Yeah. And so I think like picking up on like when you play with someone you think is good, like watch them, see what they're doing. Like how can you incorporate what they do into your game and make it yours? So I think that like along the way I've done that with like Altman and like. Kidwick and like Barry Hutter, like all of these people that I play with, I'm like, wow, these these guys like know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, and really, so, like, really strong like, table presences. For sure, and and that's like a big part of my game. So, you know, I do that. I think my biggest piece of advice for newcomers coming to the game, is like Nate, this is just specifically to you, and I think a lot of other players could probably relate. But like the one thing I've picked up on just on this short conversation we've had is like you need to work on your confidence, brother. Like, <laughs> you cannot say, like, I suck at poker. If you want to play poker, like, you have to believe you're good. If you don't believe you're good, then nobody will believe you're good. That's what I like to hear. Like, kind of a, a warped perception, but, like, you have to believe you're good before you're actually good. And that sounds insane, but you cannot be successful if you're, like, timid and poker like we've all seen players that know like everything from the book and they've memorized all this shit or whatever and they've watched every video but when it comes to like in game like you have to be you have to exude confidence you have to be like fuck you fuck you and fuck you like maybe i'm not the best player like from a you know theoretical standpoint but like i will run over your ass and to me like if you have that mentality like then on top of that, like learning and becoming better and like paying attention and being adaptable and all of these things, like it, it will, it will rise to the top. And if you can't do that, you should not play poker. Yeah. And not to get too deep, but that's one of the things that I do struggle with is when I'm at the table, I know that I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not the best at the table. Like I, I'm overmatched by players at the table all the time. But as we were talking about earlier, like I've, you know, made runs in different tournaments, like final table tournaments. And when you have that feeling of I'm running the table over, they're all intimidated by me. There's no better feeling. It's, I, I just then struggle with like, oh shit, I'm once, you know, you get deeper into a tournament when there's better players, that's when the, uh, the lack of confidence starts coming up and then, you know, you're folding where otherwise you would be raising and this and that. For sure. And I can't, I'm not going to lie to you and say like, I don't experience that a hundred percent. I experience that, especially in like these, you know, party poker millions tournaments where like the best poker players in the world are there. And like these really tough, like big buy-in fields, big buy-in and big fields that are fucking intimidating. I'm not saying that like, you're never going to get to a spot where you're like not feeling confident. Of course, like I'm just saying in general, like be as confident as you can and if you're in a field where you, like, don't feel confident most of the time, like, just move down. Yeah. Like, play a, play a hundred and play a daily tournament at ARIA and just, like, fuck people up. And then <laughs> right. fucking people up until, like, you're ready to, like, 
play a 1K. And then if you play a 1K, like, do that until you can gain confidence in that field. Like, that would be – if you're not confident playing in the games you're playing in, like, just move down and dominate that event. Like, find where your sweet spot is. That is the pep talk I think Nate needed to hear. A hundred percent. I just need to, like, bunker down and just, you know, get more fundamentally better at poker. I just, I just have to. Yeah, I, I agree. Jake offered but me up. Also, Nate, but think, think of it like this, right? And I think a lot of people also make this mistake that, like, the fundamentals are obviously important, and there's like some basic, like, you know, a solid. You need a solid foundation, right? But like, when it comes to the more intricate, like, you know, aspects of poker, it's all based on like having your opponent be a rational actor, and that. Um, assumption is almost always a fallacy because like humans are emotional creatures and they don't act on rational thought almost ever unless you're at a playing at the highest 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 like david peters level people don't behave that way so if you're like you know watching a run at once video and they're like oh yeah do this and do this and this guy's range is this well they're not considering this guy just like is fucking hungry and wants a cheeseburger and he's gonna like shove jack five off because he wants to go to break He's that you you don't you don't know those things until you're in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. I'm taking notes. That's good. It's very true. But yeah, Nate, if you want to talk, if you want to get better at poker, you're welcome to. We can have our own, you know, individual talk. I'm happy to to help you in any way I can. Yeah, I say Jake offered awesome. me a lesson for a birthday present about three years ago, <laughs> and I never took him up on it. It's expired. Oh shit. Wow! Yeah, no, I I took too I took too much rejection over the last three years. Uh, you know, reminding him of it. Now, uh, now he's shit out of luck. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I've found a better coach. Now, yeah, so exactly. You, um, Boom! <laughs> I like that. In my face. All right, Kelly. Good luck tonight on live at the bike. Mm-hmm. Everyone, check that out. Yeah. Except it'll come out tomorrow and already be over. So watch the replay of it. <laughs> yeah, this will drop around midnight it'll and. Be on the YouTube. Yeah, it'll be on the YouTube. Kelly, thanks again for coming on, and we will definitely have you on again if you're down. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Thanks, Kelly. So on last episode, me and Jake were randomly just talking about Victor Blom when he was revealed at World Series of Poker Europe. And out of the back of my brain, I hadn't thought about this hand and forever i hadn't seen it in forever i was like oh yeah christian made a really sick call on that same broadcast and we talked about it for maybe you know two minutes and then i i played the audio just in the podcast and when i when i played the audio you know i had to watch the youtube and i was like holy shit this hand is absurd so i posted it on our instagram and twitter and i was just like do you think you could make this call and most people are like no that's a ridiculous call like how did he make that call? Easy fold. Yeah, there was a call. Yeah, a lot, a couple people calling you an idiot and a bad poker player for making that call. Um, so we wanted to have you on basically to be like, what the fuck was that hand? Um, it starts with you raising eight six off mm-hmm. uh, from the button or from the cut hijack, up, cut off from the cutoff. Yep, getting called yeah. on the button by ace seven off from Andy Black, and then ace queen flatting the small blind. And then Min the Master flatting uh, four three suited from the big blind. Let's start there. What was your open about? Yeah. Well. Well. First of all, I think this is the biggest part of the hand that isn't talked about because because I've seen I've gotten roasted by Doug Polk about this hand on his YouTube. Oh channel. no! I've heard, not I've Doug heard Polk. 
every every couple of years it comes back because it's a fun hand. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing, and no one ever mentions that it's like it's the very last hand of the day, I think, or the second yeah. hand of the day. Yeah. 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 Andy is. Black hands back his bag at the end of the hand. He goes, "I don't need yeah, this anymore." Hilarious. I actually remember that. I remember that actually happening. Him like saying something else after me. Yeah. But I think that's the biggest part of the hand and why everyone does what they did pre-flop, first of all, and even post-flop. Um, I opened because I I guess I, I I thought that it was just a good spot because men obviously didn't want to put any more chips in the pot, as you could tell. Yeah, clearly. In the big mine. Um, I think just everyone wanted a bag. I guess I, I didn't um, – <laughs> I obviously was a little mistaken about Andy because Andy was you know has, has always been known for someone to get after it and, like, play off the pots. But – Besides that, like ace queen obviously is like an automatic squeeze in the spot, mm-hmm. just calls for example. Um, so that was the I think that's the biggest part of the hand and, and what like dictates a lot of things that happen. Um, and so wait 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 real quick, you just think he flatted the ace queen because it was the last hand and he didn't want to you know get splashy or whatever in a big pot on the last hand of the night. Yeah, I just think it was just it was just like he just wanted to, he was just ready he he already counted his chips they've already literally handed us the bag. You know, he was in his mind, uh, Kravchenko, and men, like, the, the day was over. And I guess me and Andy had other thoughts, <laughs> <laughs> clearly, based on what, what happens in the sand. The flop comes uh, three of diamonds, eight of spades, four of spades. And uh, so Min the Master, who is playing four three clubs out of the big blind, flops two pair. So it goes check, check, you bet, Andy Black raises. And so... You know that he's splashy. You know that he is known for playing big pots. The ace queen folds. Mend the master. He's folding four three there. And let's start with that. Your thoughts on his fold? I mean, against Andy Black. I mean, against basically anyone. Obviously, it's terrible. But against, especially against me and Andy Black, it's like <laughs> right, completely absurd. Like it's like hard to even like. It's like a pretty monumental error. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I just decided. I decided. I mean, my hand needs a lot of protection. It's 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 not the best <laughs> situation in a four-way pot, but I think my hand's good enough to bet. And then when Andy raises, I guess the whole thing is, you know, Andy has a reputation that precedes him as someone that's kind of crazy, right? And his whole timing and his whole everything about everything about the hand, it just seemed like from the start, like from his button call into the into the pre in the flop raise, it just something just seemed off to me. Um, and I guess I, I did, I did, I do remember thinking like men had something cause, cause you know, on TV it's cut, you know, you don't actually, men tanked for like a long time. Okay. Right. So I didn't really know what men had, but I, I, he had something that connected to the board, whether it was an E, whether it was a flush roll. I didn't think he had two pairs. So that, <laughs> I wish it, if I even knew that I would have made it, you know, uh, right. Then the hand becomes a lot easier to play. Call. Yeah. So I considered that men had something and then Andy was just up to no good. So you flat. The, tur- the turn's like the same story. I mean, once I once I call the flop, I can't pull the turn. So the turn the turn way. comes the the turn comes the ten of clubs, and yeah. you check and Andy Black bets about fifteen k, and you it, on TV at least you don't take a lot of time and you put in the calling chips. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but I, I know I'm not one to like just like snap call. I'm sure it was like twenty or thirty seconds. Right. Um, yeah. And so that was about half pot. No, that was big. No, that was like um, sixteen. It was like fifteen into twenty twenty two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think he's just trying to get you to fold to end the night and go home? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's what it came down to to me, and and I know that like 
pretty much on that card. It's one of the best cards in the deck. It, if I call the flop, I kind of have to call the turn there. Right. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I, I, I just didn't really consider falling the turn. The river is where it got it. Well, if you, if you think about the way that poker was played, um, you know, long before 2009, but, you know, probably still a little bit in 2009, it's very possible for Andy to, like, raise flop with something like, you know, basically any eight, right? Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It, um, that's something that, you know, you, you still see live sometimes, but, like, definitely saw a lot more back then. Um, yeah. But then to just blast the turn with anything that's maybe, you know, ace-8, um, but anything worse than that is likely to either bet small or uh, just, 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 yeah, just check behind. Value at that point. Right. For sure. Because then you start to break down the hand and, uh, you know, from his perspective like okay you've now raised c-bet and called a raise in a four-way pot um so like you know just betting jack eight or something probably yeah. isn't gonna happen and he didn't three bet uh pre-flop so you're assuming he doesn't have like aces kings Pro- yeah, right. there. He, you know probably not but who knows for sure no i think AD was the type of player where i would think you would automatically put those hands yeah so now the river and it is not a good card for you it is the nine of spades so it completes the spades because the flop came with two spades and it completes a backdoor uh straight where now we have an eight nine and a ten on the board and you check yeah and andy black goes all in and mind you you guys both started this hand over 100 big blinds deep um he goes all in, which is about so he has thirty seven k behind. Like, it's like two uh, thirty. He shot for like thirty seven. Yep, in a fifty. Yep, in a fifty. Yeah. And again, do you? People were asking in uh, the Instagram comments or whatever. A, a lot comes down to TV editing. Did he snap shove the river? Did he take time? And then, can you talk about your timing to call on the river? Yeah, so he actually, he acted every street extremely fast. So he snapshot the river. I remember that. Uh, I definitely th- I definitely thought on the river um, for a good amount of time. Obviously, <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie to you. In, 20, 000, in, in this year, 2020, I would I would fold the river. Right. Um, my hand's like a pretty bad hand to call with. Like having the six, like blocking like some six-five combos and things. And, and just like, like potentially even losing to the bluffs. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I would probably fold now. But something just about the whole thing about him snap shoving the river, like it didn't add up in, to me. The story of the story of that he was trying to tell. Now he's trying to tell he raised the flop with a combo draw, right? Like, but right. like how he acted so quickly in every street to me, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't add up. Like I didn't believe that he was the story he was telling at this point. The one of the things I remember is, man, I'm gonna look really stupid here because he he could literally. There's a chance he could be bluffing with a better hand. Right. Like, what if he just has um, ace eight with ace spades and and turns that into a yeah, bluff? Yeah. Or he just or he just like has a nine somehow. Right. And like he's like, well, I'm not good. Yeah. I just didn't believe the story you're trying to tell. That's and then that's what poker. I mean, a little bit less so now, but definitely that's what poker to me was um, back then. Like. If someone if someone is coming up with a not a credible story for how what kind of line they were taking, you know, it's like all right, well, let me see it because it doesn't really if it doesn't make sense, then now people can trick people are so much better and they trick you and they and things ha- and the game has changed. Right, they're more but you know people are more I, aware. I just, yeah, I basically just didn't <laughs> believe what he was going and and it, it actually did come down to the last hand. Now uh, I thought he could have also tried to been using that against me. Right. The whole last hand, like we already have our bags, 
it's Andy Black. Like he's no like Yeah. Like and it's a ten K. I'm an American kid who flew here from London. Am I gonna come here on T V and freaking bust the last hand with a marginal hand type of thing? Uh, and Andy, I mean, he did, and he actually did have a good hand to bluff with at this point. <laughs> right. Once you yeah. get there, I mean, Ends up making, you got, a, you got space, being pretty reasonable. Like, All right. What's funny yeah, is back the then river, that probably didn't enter his thought process and possibly yours either. I mean, you had played a ton online. You'd seen similar situations. You were putting in a ton of volume at that time. But, you know, it, it, this was, what, 12 years ago, 10 years ago. It's just the, the amount of thinking that goes into spots like this in 2020 was so different back then. And I guess that's why you keep saying it just felt wrong. It felt wrong. Not to get too live pokery, but it, it, was a, it was a feel call, right? Yeah. And at the same time, I'm playing against someone who's not like who I knew wasn't like a super mask guy anyway. So it's, it's like it's almost like a lot of the stuff you can even disregard. It's a street hand. You got, you both, you both took it to the streets and, and you know, you, you read his soul. (laughs) I mean, I definitely got a little lucky and it was just, it worked out well, but yeah, I basically just didn't believe what he was trying to tell me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with my gut. My gut, my gut's worked enough so far. You can't win if you fold. Amen, brother. Yeah, that's true. What, what makes me laugh is how different this hand could have played out. Uh, you know, Ace Queen could have squeezed preflop, uh, which yeah. and you know Men the Master then folds his four three and he doesn't get all pissy about folding you know two pair on the flop. You fold obviously if Ace Queen raises, but then as played, Men the Master like he's he's calling pre out of the big blind, flops exactly what he wants in that situation, and then gets action in front of him. You could argue that. It's hard to play a hand as bad as he played there. Uh, I agree. For just calling a simple preflop raise, it's, it's hard. It's hard to play worse. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's multiple ways it could have happened. Kravchenko could have ended the hand preflop, and then men obviously should have ended the hand on the flop. But right, we don't. We don't know how. Uh, we don't know how deep men was, but I mean, doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, I assume he was deep just based on the fold. <laughs> right. That's my only... Right, he didn't have like, tw- didn't have like 20K or something. Yeah, couldn't just ship it in for a little bit. Right. Yeah. Is there uh, anything else that we should know about that hand, or is that pretty much just sum it up? Uh, yeah, that's it. I don't, I don't got much else. That, that, I, I that's a legendary like, hand. I, I every every now and now and then that thing will pop up, and it, it's just it's just a gem. It's a pretty amazing uh, memory, Eric, that you just immediately are like talking about Victor Bloom and his freaking hair on WSC Europe, and all of a sudden you remember the hand. Yeah, I, I don't know what <laughs> triggered it in the back of my mind because, yeah. again, I, I remembered so little about the hand except the fact that I, I even said it on the show. I was like, I think he called with like a pair of eights or a pair of sixes. I can't really remember. And Jake didn't seem like he had a, a full memory of the hand either. And then I was just so stunned when I went back and watched it. Like, holy shit, we need to talk way more about this hand. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty sweet hand. Yeah, you go on to to min cast. You finish twenty ninth for a cool thirty four thousand eight hundred and fifty five. Yeah. Min the master finishes in twenty sixth, and he got a pay jump out of it, so he fucking stuffed you he in a locker. Jeez. And it was. Do you do you remember who won? No. Ah. Uh, I did not. Barry Schulman. Barry Schulman. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He beat Dan on the ground. Who heads up? That's right. I remember that. Oh my god. Yeah, legend. <laughs> 
Negreanu. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the people who cast. It's like they're all, I know everyone basically, except a couple of random uh, English guys. Who's your favorite, Doyle? That's funny. Do you guys remember Praz Bonsi? That was such a legend. Yeah. I got third. Oh, yeah. Jake, Jake definitely remembers him. Dude, Pro, was a legend. Oh, Praz, God, he's so cool. I played with Praz Bonsi in a 1500, um, my first WSOP summer. And we were playing together all day. And I finally built up a stack. And I had doubled up, and he looks at me, and he, and he goes, you know what? I had a feeling you were going to run really deep in this thing. And he, he won it. He won the tournament. <laughs> he won the tournament? He, yeah, he won that tournament. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even cash. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, Christian, did you play with Doyle during the tournament? Any memories of Doyle? I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't play with Doyle. I've only, I think I've only played with Doyle like once in my life, like a long time ago. Damn. Rest in peace. <laughs> uh, David uh, David Uliet cast actually rest in peace the devil fish oh, oh shit fun fact about uh, <laughs> Dave Portnoy when he started the newspaper he had a write under different pseudonym so it looked like he wanted to look more credible and it looked like he had more writers on the newspaper besides just him so he wrote like a gambling column and he called himself Devilfish Dave <laughs> rest in peace Devilfish Dave Christian, who's your favorite old school online legend? Mine's number one pen. Who's yours? Number one pen. He still plays a lot. Yeah, he like final tables uh, every final WBT table he plays. LEPC last year. But yeah, he like came out of nowhere. Like he hadn't done anything for like five years, and then has been, has been doing well in like LA tournament the past couple years. Who, who's your favorite? Um, okay, my favorite probably because he's like people don't talk about him, but he's in my mind the greatest online tournament player of all time. Javoro seven eighty, Steve Gross, legend. Yeah, he's like the go- he's the go. He's, he's a New York guy, or he was. He's in New Jersey. He was. He was. He was. Uh, he was the best. Yeah, I forgot about him. He was incredible. He won everything. He won that's, everything. That's why I like to remind people because his pre Black Friday tournament results are ridiculous online. You know who I thought you were going to say when you said nobody thinks about him or talks about him, but maybe they do. Amac. <laughs> yeah, I feel another like another legend. Amac still plays a lot and like. Steve, like, only plays the World Series, really, so. But, yeah, Amex a legend, obviously. Will Will you be playing the full World Series this summer? Probably not the full, but I will definitely be out there for a good chunk of it. Cool. Hell, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Christian, thank you for coming on and walking us through that. That was fantastic. Sweet. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, right. thanks, Chris. We'll talk later. All right. Good. Have a good one. See ya. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, what I love, Great episode. Yeah, so far so good. And I was going to say, what I love about uh, you professional poker players is just how well you guys remember everything. And, you know, it's so cool to get the insight from Christian yeah. about the feeling at the table, his perception of Andy Black, how he figured Min Win hit the flop so he could take cards out of, you know, Andy Black's range, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, we might have to do this more often. Just get people on to walk us through hands that yeah, they've played. Break, break down some big hands that we see. I mean, we kind of did it with Kelly also with the uh, right. seven deuce. Right, right, right. Man, this episode's awesome. You're yeah. right, Jake. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, quickly, because I know we're running long. Well, uh, another thank you to to Kelly for coming on because yeah, because she was she was great. She was awesome. Uh, thank you to Christian. That was fucking awesome. Real quick before we go, Phil Galfond, our boy. Yeah, yeah, we touched in it, touched on it. From the uh, Kelly Minkin interview, break it down for us. He's down 900k, uh, 900 euros, Euros, which is about 980,000 US dollars, 40% of the way through his heads up challenge. 
and he posted a note on Twitter basically about his mindset right now. And as we said during the interview, like Phil Galfand has all the money. He's very wealthy. He's he's crushed every game he's ever played pretty much. Right. But it, it he wrote this long note about how, you know, he's now 40% of the way. It's fucking with his head. He's kind of playing his B game, but his his B game definitely can't beat Vinny Vitti's A game. And this is the most important part to me of what he wrote. He goes, the most difficult thing about an extended downswing isn't the loss of money. It's the loss of hope, which, damn. It's the gap between the result and your expectations and how it changes your vision of your poker future. For example, I've lost 900K euro, but when comparing my expectation for how this year would go to my new expectations, I've lost much more. For some people, they question whether or not they'll ever win again shit it's true it really is true uh and it's kind of exacerbated in a in in a heads-up setting where you know you feel kind of like you're trapped in a cage there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to escape this is the dumbest analogy i can give but it rings really true if you've ever played a game like candy crush or angry birds and you've played the same level for days upon days upon days and you're doing everything you can to beat this fucking level and you just can't do it that's basically what he's dealing with right now but you know on a much bigger scale with he's down a million dollars with 60 percent left to go knowing that he has to wake up in the morning and he's so drained mentally that he does not feel he can win he's Mm -hmm. like if i play I will lose a ton of money and it would be dumb of me to do that because even though I, it's such a weird dynamic too. He's like, I have this challenge that I promised I would do, but literally if I do it, I have, I don't have a chance of winning. Right. He's one in 12 and I guess two, I guess two sessions are pretty much break even over the first 15 days of play one in 12. It's cool that he recognizes that, he he knows he's Phil Galfond. He knows that he's one of the best in the world, and he knows he's beat. Right, he's beaten. But even then, like, even though he's you know very likely outmatched, uh, one in twelve is pretty. Like that just kind of shows the variance that does actually go into it. Because even if somebody's beating you pretty good, I mean, you shouldn't be losing. Yeah. Basically every session. Yeah. Um. I'm still rooting like for him, obviously. Like, he's, like he's come on the show, of your so I will root for him right. no matter what. And right. plus, oh, I'm he's... rooting for him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think I think this, you know, the it's it's kind of cool to hear and see his insight that he has in the middle of a challenge like this, where things are not going well for him. It's you know, it's easy to kind of hide and and you know, ignore the public and and you know, inform people of how he's feeling and what's going on in his head. And much easier, obviously, to do if he had been winning. There's a couple things about that, though. One, he knows he's kind of beloved, so he knows if he writes this note, it'll be you know received right. well. Right. And two, he's still rich as hell, so yeah, he, it it's it resonated with me a little bit because you know I just fired three bullets at a four hundred dollar tournament and got my ass kicked, and I didn't feel like I should never play again, but right. I did feel kind of like just bummed. hopeless. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, not hopeless, but just like bummed, like fuck, like yeah. He feels the same way on a much bigger scale, but it's cool that he feels the same way. And I hope that him, you know, kind of getting this all out and, you know, off his chest helps him, you know, mentally and helps, yeah. you know, use, you know, hope he uses it as a reset, which I'm sure he is. And, you know, 
you know, who knows? Come yeah. back stronger. Yeah, he has a lot of fans. Uh, I, I think a little bit, and he didn't say it in the note to a large extent. I think he feels he's letting people down. I think he knows that people like him and are rooting for him. And he's, you know, getting his ass kicked. I think he feels like people expected better out of him, even yeah. though it, it's not. How do you say it? it's I don't want to say it's not his fault. But, you know, it's like in that way, like nobody. He entered a heads up challenge. You can lose that. Right. I, I get crushed in it. It's yeah. like, you know, he's playing a great player. Um, and then, you know, on the other hand, we have uh, a rebuttal, if you will, from uh, Luke Schwartz at Full Flush One. So Luke Twitter. Schwartz is a British poker player, high stakes poker player. Yeah. Uh, kind of a troll on Twitter, but usually correct about what he says, if that makes sense. He, he's he's aggressive and maybe some people call yeah, him. Yeah, he's got a strong, like kind of abrasive personality. Yeah. People call him a bully, maybe mean, but he's usually correct. <laughs> I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. Galfond is writing these pigeon fucking notes after he gets his ass handed to him every session by someone who is five years and 14 advanced solvers better than him. He's basically saying like Galfond was overmatched from the beginning and he's writing these sob stories. Um, Phil is no LeBron James. He's a nerdy little nice guy who was trying to extend his poker money making by getting some traction off his failing site. Yeah, <laughs> That's I mean, kind of mean. He, he obviously comes down pretty damn hard on, on, on Phil here. Yeah. Curtin calls horrible business decision to go play an unknown solver that no one even knows his real name as your first challenge i think that's very true he should not have started his challenge against an anonymous player so if you want to read the rest of his his rebuttal to galfond uh it's full flush one you know it's i retweeted it on cracking aces because it's funny now that i reread it maybe it's a little meaner than i thought but i i do think luke schwartz generally is right about what he says he's just so fucking mean about it i know he's kind of like trying to play the tell it like it is angle yeah, but I mean, uh, this, where this... he's correct is this guy he's playing is levels above him. Right. You know, Phil is out of practice because he's been running a business. I, I mean, Phil's still a top five player in the world. He just took the first challenge from someone who is just obviously better. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I, I think Phil's great, but I, there's no way he's a top five player in the world. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Top five overall? All games combined? Mm, no, no way. Okay, no. fine. No, but that's not. He's not claiming to be that, right? Like, yeah, that's true. He's he's you know been doing other things. You know, been running multiple businesses. Like, he's not claiming to be you know the top of the top anymore. Now, his mind is still capable of of you know yeah basically you know beating every game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I think it was maybe a little ambitious to like come out of the gate. It, it may, maybe even just play it all like somebody he that uh, wanted to get uh you know people onto his site and right i know volumes up i know and he obviously did his did his uh you know research and work into you know the way to structure the challenge for sure yeah uh but yeah this is this is a tough 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 opening match i'm obviously. gonna say phil will benefit in the long run from this yeah i hope so okay jake uh do we have anything else no i i think i think that's it we uh we went pretty long on 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 the with the with those uh, two great interviews. So we'll have to uh, do several DMs that we have. Yes. Next episode. Yes, yes, yes. We have DM saved. We will talk about that on Tuesday. Oh, we're two episodes a week now. So uh, yeah. continue to subscribe and tell your friends who like poker. Yeah. Keep you know keep sending questions in, uh, hand histories, bad beats poker advice whatever, oh, yeah. whatever it might be also like we'll answer them if as you best see bad beats yeah send them to the instagram so we can post those 
and keep spreading the good word about the Cracking Aces podcast. Uh, we will, I will go edit this now, and we will have a good weekend. Good luck if you're playing poker, um, and we will see you back here on Tuesday. Thanks, guys.